welcome. As always, even though we are under the two generations gaming banner, this is one guy reading. Whether you meant to or not, you found Noob's Book Club. I'm Sean, Noob of all trades from Two Generations Gaming, and in this series I am reading and reacting to Dragons of Fate, the latest volume from the Dragonlance Destiny series by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. You may have thought that you lost Noob's Book Club with a three-week unintended hiatus, but after illness, homecoming, and a week assessing and trying to get caught up on my creative pursuits, I finally feel ready to sit down and resume and finish this series and move on to Jurassic Park in a couple of weeks because I only have four episodes left for this particular book. In this episode, I'm going to read through chapters 28, 29, 30, 31, and then I will give my reaction to them at the end. Episode 10, Chapter 28. Yuma and Gwyneth make their way down the stairs as Immolatus continues his assault. They figure that he blew a hole in the wall and wants to get into the temple. Once they get close enough to see, they see that he can't yet fit through the hole that he created. They sneak into the temple and take cover behind the statue of Kiri Jalith. Yuma whispers a prayer to that god, then makes his way to the dragon lances near the Paladine statue. Immolatus breaks a larger hole with one last massive blow, and then crawls into the temple. After stretching, he begins to ransack the temple. Then, suddenly, he stops and sniffs. I smell you, human. Then he spots Huma. The knight comes out from behind the altar, dragon lance in hand. Immolatus ramps up his dragon fear. Huma, though affected, stands tall in the face of that fear. Gwyneth senses that this action instills some uncertainty in the dragon. He, likewise, eyes the dragon lance with curiosity and suspicion. He looks around. Gwyneth senses more uncertainty from the dragon. He seems to regret his decision to enter the temple and the smaller space. Immolatus reacts to his folly by warming, parenthetically pun intended, his breath weapon. Gwyneth warns Huma, who takes cover behind the paladine statue. The fire melts the candles, destroys the altar, and cracks the statue. It crumbles. Gwyneth hopes that Huma's faith in the gods is rewarded and turns back into her dragon form. Immolatus continues his assault until forced to stop when Huma rises from the rubble. He hides his surprise behind bravado. He also taunts the existence of the dragonlands. As the red prepares to attack again, Gwyneth rises to her full height and confronts him. The shock is enough to surprise the dragon and he swallows the fire breath. She follows up with an icy blast of her own. She tells Huma to attack then. He throws the lance and buries it deep into the dragon's chest. First annoyed, he then howls in pain. He tries to pull it out but can't even touch it without causing pain to his own hand. Instead, he yanks it free with his teeth and tosses it aside. Gwyneth taunts him, but he ignores her and goes for Huma. The knight grabs another lance, but stumbles over the broken statues as the dragon lashes out. Gwyneth saves him by slamming into Immolatus. The red turns his attack to her. That gives Huma a chance to recover. When he sees that Immolatus has the upper hand, he strikes again with the lance, hitting him in the thigh. Wounded once again, Immolatus strikes back at Huma, then bites Gwyneth on the shoulder. He then goes for the throat. She tries her breath weapon, but can't breathe from the pain. She sees Huma on the ground and fears him dead. He then stands, bloodied and beaten, but defiant. Huma pulls his sword, also broken. A voice from the temple entrance. Commander Belgrave enters. Huma points to the lance. Titus grabs the lance and goes for the kill. He shreds the dragon's wing and breaks a rib, but misses the heart. 
the dragon pricks him in his jaws and shakes him like a dog's chews toy. Tossing the body back at Huma, he threatens them next. Huma vows to stay with Titus. Gwyneth vows to stay with him. Emilatus gears up for the killing blow. A light shines. Unable to blot it out, he falls defeated. A woman dressed in blue appears. She brings a calm and eases their pain. Emilatus drags his broken body out of the temple. Your greatest weapon is love. Why did he leave? He could have easily killed us all, but he could not kill the gods. That was the longest chapter of the four. The next ones are much shorter and quicker. Chapter 29. A bell chimes the coming of the dawn. Huma, surprised that the ordeal was so short, turns to Titus. The man had regained consciousness. He turns to Will, who apologizes for running. Smarter than me, Titus replies, then asks for Huma. He names Huma as commander. Huma protests. Titus knowingly smiles, and Huma says a final goodbye. Titus dies. Reginald, ashamed, admonishes himself and says he's not fit to be a knight. Huma reassures him that many have fallen victim to the dragon fear and that he faced it down only with the help of the gods. Reginald smiles. The soldiers cheer. Will asks to prepare Titus for burial. Huma gives the men work to get their minds off of the horrors they witnessed. Will works to help prepare Belgrave for his burial. Others work to clear the rubble. As they talk of Belgrave and that his soul is finally at peace, Will asks about the dragon he saw. Huma gives a snowing smile and says that yes, at least one silver has returned to the fight. While rubbing the blood from his face, someone announces the arrival of a wizard. He sees Raceland, cow pulled over his face and hands in his sleeves. If you've come to fight, you're too late. Wait, where's Magius? Raceland reports that he's been abducted. What? How? Where? By whom? Emilata sent assassins to take the Greystone. They took Magius prisoner. What of the gem? Sturm and Cairn will protect Estina and the gem, though the gem needs little help in that regard. Magius's prediction that Huma will immediately try to save him comes true. Raceland offers to come too. Instead, they work out that Raceland should go and Huma and Gwyneth should stay behind to command the forces and fight. They bid each other farewell and go their separate ways. Chapter 31 This chapter opens on the carnage unleashed by the Grey Gem. Destina looks at that carnage. Cairn takes a defensive stand when they hear footsteps. Destina waves him off. Sturm arrives. Destina explains what happened and that she realizes that she finally took control of the gem like Raceland said she could. Sturm says leave it. You are free. Destina realizes she cannot. She picks up the chain and puts the gem back around her neck. Sturm says that he needs to report to Titus. Raceland shows up and breaks the news that he's dead. He then explains the attack, Gwyneth and the dragon lances, and the retreat. They bicker slightly about history being altered. Raceland again reminds them that they are at the whims of chaos, so who actually knows? He then vows to complete his mission to save Magius. They all protest. He insists. Sturm, going with Raceland, reminds them that they are walking into an enemy camp and will unlikely walk out. If they're not back, take themselves and the gem back to their time. Karen reluctantly agrees. They will wait in the fortress for Taz in the kitchen. And, honestly, they can't wait much longer. They must go back as soon as possible. Chapter 31 Imolatus drags his wounded body back to the camp. He can't fly, and the camp is closer than his den. He stays in dragon form because he can't bear the further humiliation of turning into a human. He asks for a cleric. After examining his wounds, she tells him that the Dark Lady 
cannot heal him. She leaves, and he tries to find a more comfortable position to lie in. Garat shows up to report. The Grey Gem? We captured a wizard. And the gem? The others want to get it. Well, fine. Interrogate the wizard while we wait. He isn't talking. We'll make him. Just don't kill him. Garat leaves. Emilatus tries to rest and heal. The guard announces a visitor to wake him up. To his surprise, Tully enters. Where are the others? The gem? They are dead. Who killed them? The gem. I saw it happen. I was there to get the gem from her. They attacked the demands of the gem. Then she threw the gem and something happened. And then the all and then the assassins were dead. And the gem? No idea. All of this makes Imbolatus covet the gem more if it's true. Bring me a sword from my treasure pile. Tolly does as he's told. Take this sword and use it to kill the knight and his silver dragon. The sword will deal instant death if you hit the head or the heart. Then bring the gem. Tolly protests. Fine, kill the woman and I will retrieve the gem. Then he thinks, maybe I can use it to kill Tachesis. And now for my reaction. No new characters this time around, but for the first time, parenthetically, ever in a while, and parenthetical, the Grey Gem works actively instead of passively. Technically, it happened last episode, but the ramifications continue to be felt in this one. Emilatus now wants the gem more than ever. His only source left is too cowardly to collect it for him. Our heroes all realize the power of the gem is much more than even they can imagine. About the pacing. I already spoke in the earlier episodes that I like the pacing in this book much more than the first, but over the last few episodes I noticed a definite increase in that pacing of action. In last episode alone, they introduced new characters in the Assassins and killed them off shortly after. This time around, we get the Battle of the Tower, the introduction of the Dragon Lances, and a glimmer of hope for the forces of good against overwhelming odds. I mean, it all makes sense if you think back to the high school English class and the diagram of plot. We're smack dab in the middle of the rising action of the overall story but I still appreciate that they delivered with that action. And now for what I liked least. As far as the story in these chapters, I liked everything. If pressed, I might be able to come up with a part of it that I liked least, but I honestly don't want to work that hard right now, so I'm going to take the easy way out. I like least that we are currently deep in that rising action. Sure, it increased the pace of the story, and I love that. After suffering through the slow introduction of the previous book, I welcome some breakneck and nonstop action for a few chapters. But with that new pace and action comes great uncertainty. Has the past been changed? Without a doubt. How will that affect Kryn? No idea. Sure, the assassins are gone, but who are they? Are they native to Kryn? There's no other mention of them in any of the other books I've ever read. Will Raceland realize his selfishness and that he needs to let Magius go? And, as I've been asking, how will that affect him if he does? I hope for the best, but I fear the worst. What happens if Sturm or Raceland die trying to rescue Magius? Yes, the River of Time may wash away their memory, but they both played massive roles in writing the story of their time. Will another rise to take their place? Did the clock know all of this, and it all feeds into the future that it predicted? You may argue that the clock can't truly know the whim of chaos, and, as such, cannot make a reliable prediction based on it. So that brings up one of my least favorite philosophical questions. Is everything predetermined and we just come along for the ride? Or does our free will determine our destinies? I don't like this question because of the implications of my conclusions from pondering it. I want to believe that humans have free will, and that we determine our destinies and, to some extent, the destinies of others. However, more and more, I wonder, in spite of our free will, just how much one individual controls both their own destiny and especially the outcome of another's life. 
And fundamentally, that question is at the heart of this series so far. Destina asked it repeatedly about her father in the first book. Raceland told anybody who'd listen that they risked changing things by being in the past for too long. Now, all of a sudden, he risks everything to rescue Magius from a death that certainly must happen. So, no surprise, but Weiss and Hickman have no more insight into this issue than the rest of us. And that, my friends, frankly, vexes me. What I liked best. The chapter where they fight the dragon is probably my single favorite chapter of the story so far. It brings everything together to prepare us for what's to come in the last part of the book. I hesitate to call it the climax of the book because there are far too many loose ends still unresolved, but it ramps everything up to 11 and sets the stage at least. Titus, who I hated, actually gets a heroic send-off. I hoped that he might make it through the battle somehow. When he didn't, he rightly passed command to Huma. Speaking of, he continued his heroic arc. I spoke more than once that I changed my tune on Huma and Gwyneth. At first, they annoyed me. Then I saw Huma start to grow into his role as a hero. Titus recognized it too and acknowledged it. Destina realized what Raceland said is true. When she threw the gem, she exerted some control over it. And she may now actually be free of it. First, though, they have to make it back. Unfortunately, Raceland may be the reason that they don't actually make it home. His selfishness and ego make an appearance. I'm not yet willing to admit to myself that he might be turning back down the evil path. I believe that ultimately, his love for Magius drives him. Even if not completely true, it's not exactly a lie. Just a comforting thing to keep my hope alive that he stays on the path to redemption and fills his arc in this story. As always, thanks for listening. You can find us, if you haven't already, at www.twoguysgaming.net. We have articles. I just wrote an article on Silent Hill yesterday. I'm going to do Resident Evil tomorrow and possibly over the weekend. I will talk about Fader Frame, one of my favorite horror movies. Next week, I'm going to do Five Nights at Freddy's because the movie is coming out. I might have some kind of special episode where I talk to the kids about seeing the movie because Liam just texted earlier that they're going to go see it. I have no desire to see it. So if you want a review, it'll have to come from them. We'll see how things go. We also have another podcast, Two Guys Gaming. I forgot yesterday that we were going to record, so we're going to actually record tomorrow evening after I get home from my class, our spooky episode for October. So that'll be up by the end of the week, no doubt. There's also a link to our socials, including our YouTube, which I've worked to get back to current. Today I should be finally current as long as the video uploads and I get a chance to do what I need to do to get it up onto the YouTube. I will be back with this series on Saturday with the next episode and hopefully finish it out in a couple of weeks so that I can start Jurassic Park. I will talk to you then. Bye, guys. We are two guys gaming.